There isn't any doubt um, when you come to Mark chapter 4, verse 41, that it had been an overwhelming day. You'll remember the disciples had been in the boat with Jesus. Now, it was kind of a different day because Jesus had been teaching to the crowds. That's not what's different. But Jesus, the crowd had been so crayed that day that Jesus had gotten into the boat along with the disciples. And from that boat, he taught the crowds. And now in two years of his earthly ministry, he begins to teach a little bit differently, at least in Mark's gospel. We see that he begins to speak in parables. And we understand that we've said for many years that a parable is an earthly story filled with heavenly truth. And that does have truth to it. But you do realize that began with Aristotle. Really, a parable is much more than just a story. A parable is something that should grab our attention. It should have grabbed their attention. Because Jesus will take common things and use them in uncommon ways. It was unsettling and it was shocking. And the disciples had been there as Jesus had been talking about a sower, a seed and soil. He had referred to the lamp and measuring baskets and not putting it under beds. He talked about the mystery of the growth of the seed, how it would happen. And then ultimately brought us to the point of the power of the seed that once it takes hold, when the seed merges with the soil, it produces a life that cannot be stopped. In other words, folks, I want you to understand something this morning. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. Whatever the world wants to do, whatever hell may throw its way, the kingdom of God will prevail. Light will always overcome darkness. It must have been overwhelming in that day. And now they hear as Jesus speaks to them and says, let's go to the other side. And so we watch as Jesus has commanded, that's what they'll do. They begin to sail out onto the sea. The evening has come. The sky is growing dark. You remember the story, the gentle waves and the peaceful breeze. And Jesus makes his way to the back of the boat. He falls asleep on a mat there. And as the disciples are sitting there, maybe even beginning to doze off as they're thinking about all that Jesus had said, as they're thinking about everything that had happened soon, quickly, you could say, the breeze begins to pick up. The waves begin to become torrential. We watch as they begin to smack up against the side of the boat. We see as they begin to walk over into the boat and they seem as though they're going to go under. The disciples know what do they do. They fight this battle. They've been in this before, but this is one tempest. This is one storm that seems to have the upper hand. And in the midst of it all, As they're fighting a battle, Jesus is asleep in the stern. And so we watch, finally they go to him and they say, carest thou not? Jesus, we're about to die here. We're about to go under. Life is over. Jesus, don't you care? I don't know if you've ever been there or not. They were. Jesus can handle it. We watch him as he stands to his feet. He walks to the front of the ship. He looks out into the darkness, looks that tempest in the eye, and he says, peace, be still. 
And as soon as Jesus spoke the words, the hand of God reached down and gripped the mouth of that rabid beast. We watched the storm as quickly as it blew in. It's now gone and it's smooth sailing from there on out. Jesus had told them, this is what's amazing to me. I just saw this. I don't know why I'm so slow to pick up on things. But Jesus had told them, let's cross to the other side. And they should have known that if Jesus told them they're going to make it to the other side, that they were going to make it to the other side. Oh, see, somebody needs to get a hold of that this morning because you feel as though the wind is battering you. If you feel as though that you're about to go under and I'm telling you when Jesus says you're going to make it, honey, you're going to make it. I'm thankful. And, and he had told them that. And now we watch them as they continue to sell. They're going to what will be an unexpected place. Now, they've just come through a storm. They've gone to that storm to go here. And soon they'll experience another storm, not a physical storm, but it's a storm nonetheless. And now we hear them as they're sitting there soaked with the sea, as they're chilled with the night air, they're leaning up against the side of the boat and they're asking this question, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and sea, who is this that the wind and the seas obey? Now, you'll remember, it's kind of an odd question because they've been with him now for two years. They've been walking with him. They've been seeing and hearing what he's been doing. And so it's safe to assume that this isn't likely the first time that they've heard this question or had the question. But now there's something different in Mark's telling of the story because we hear it coming from their mouths. They're asking it right out out loud. And like I said, it's likely that it's happened before. And who could blame them? We're sitting here and and yet they were there when he stood before them on a day when they were going through their everyday life and he stopped before them and he called out to them and invited them to leave what they knew to step into an entirely new world of following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, this wasn't an invitation just for coffee. It wasn't an invitation just for a day or two. No, it was a changed life. And although it didn't make sense, there must have been something about the sound of his voice. There must have been something with which the intensity that he spoke those words, the look in his face, because when he invited them to step into an entirely new world, they forsook it all and began to walk in the steps of Jesus. They must have been asking that question. Because it seems shortly after, if not even just the same day as they're standing in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching as he often does. And yet they're hearing something like they've never heard before as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. They hear one speaking with authority. That's what they say. It's not like the scribes. It's not like the other teachers. He actually sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And that was rare in this day. And at the sound of authority, there was a man there that was overcome with evil. And at the sound of Jesus, doesn't that make you wonder how long he was comfortable in church at the sound of his voice this man is completely made whole he is given his life back they must have been wondering who is this 
As on another occasion, Jesus is teaching. He's doing what he said he has come to do, to announce his father's kingdom. And in the midst of it all, there's an outsider that makes his way to the inside. Oh, this is a man who's completely defiled. This is a man that leprosy has overtaken his body. And they knew the people there that if they were to breathe the same air that this man breathed, if they were to walk on the same ground that this man walked on, then they too would become defiled. So the crowd begins to part as the leper man falls before Jesus and we watch Jesus as he willingly reaches out and touches the untouchable one. Jesus willingly does what he ought not do. See, he wasn't worried about getting what the leper had. He knew that in that touch, the leper would get what he had. And just like that, this man was healed. He was completely made will and one touch his life was changed who is this they must have asked the question the one who at the sound of his voice lame people get up and begin to walk around on new legs who is this the one who is willing to love the unlovable ones that everybody else would cast aside? Who is this that would willingly embrace the unembraceable ones, the ones that society viewed as untouchable? Who is this? That's the question they're asking. It's likely the question they've been asking. It's the question we know that they'll be confronted with in Mark chapter 8. You remember in verse 27 that Jesus confronts the disciples and he basically asks them a question, who do people say that I am? And you'll remember that they had been walking with him. They had been there in the crowds. They had their ideas, but we really don't see it yet. But now we watch as they're asked who people say that he is, that they begin to rehearse those thoughts. They begin to sprout out just right out loud. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and some say other. But then Jesus redirects the question in verse 29. He makes it personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And you do realize that that's a question we're all confronted with. That's a question we all must answer. Who do you say that I am? And this is the moment that Peter says, you're the one. And now their answer is confirmed. But now we're in chapter four. Jesus hasn't given any any confirmation to that. And now we hear them as they ask, what manner of man is this? Who is this that even the wind and seas obey him? So they continue to sail to the other side. We know that they're headed to the region, to the Decapolis, the region of the Gadarenes. And we know that it's a God forsaken place. Why do we say that? Because this is the land of the Gentiles. These are the people who are completely defiled, unloved by God. No respectable Jew would ever find himself there. And yet we see that that's where they're heading. The one place they wouldn't expect to be, the one place that they're heading through, went through a storm to go, is this one place that they should not be going to. And why would they do that? Well, obviously, it's because it's where he was. It's where he had been. It's where he would be. Who is he? This man is another throwaway from society. Most of us probably on a Sunday morning in Ruvieville are familiar with the story of the demoniac. 
And we know that it's likely at one point in his life he was probably a good guy, a normal guy. Perhaps he was kind. Maybe you might even say that he was a sweet guy, normal as normal can be. Maybe even had a young family. We know that he had friends. Why? Because the scriptures refer later to them. But now in this man's life, something has changed. It seems as though that he has opened the door, cracked the door to evil in his life. And with that crack there, evil has kicked it wide open. And now he's totally overcome. His personally has been, personality has been usurped. He is completely overtaken with this evil. And now he is mobbed. His personality is gone and he has become unbearable. In my mind, I don't know if he had a family or not, but if he did have a young wife, we see that finally the day came that she had had enough. The cruelty that she's been enduring with the boys, the kids have had to put up with, and they've been scared long enough. She can't take it anymore. So she does the only thing that she knows to do. She throws him out. And I've already said he once had friends, but it seems when we meet him in Mark chapter five at the beginning, they're nowhere to be found. He doesn't have them anymore. We see that he's worn out his welcome, it would seem, because now the entire village, the town wants to get rid of him because he's simply become a menace to that society. They can't take him anymore. He's simply unbearable. They had enough, so they put him out as well. He's thrown out of his home. He's thrown out of his city. And now we see him as he's dwelling amongst the dead. We meet him literally as the walking dead in a day before there was ever a television program. He's roaming the mountains. He's roaming the tombs. It's where they put him. His life is gone. He's not suited for society. So he will roam the tombs amongst the dead. They try to confine him. Oh, they put chains upon him, but he breaks those chains. They shackle his wrists. They shackle his ankles. They try to keep him contained, but he breaks free from those shackles. He shatters every bond they try to put on him. He's crying constantly. It's almost as though you can hear his torment, his pain constantly night and day coming down that mountainside into the village. They can hear his cries. And it's one thing to hear that sort of thing during the day. When you can see what's before you, when you can see what's coming, but when night falls, when the sun sets in an entirely different story, because now we watch with the sun setting, they begin to slam their doors and lock them. They shutter their windows and make sure they're bound because they don't want him. He's a wild man. He can't be tamed and he is simply out of control. But the amazing thing is when we see him as a throwaway to everybody else. He's not a throwaway to Jesus. And we watch him as Jesus hears his cries. And it seems as though this is the very reason they head through that storm. His storm, the chaos that he's experiencing, must be muzzled. His chaos has to end. Who is this that would sail through a storm at the sound of one man's cry? The question is about to be answered. But it'll be answered from an unlikely source as we see the confrontation. We watch as the boat comes to shore 
It says the man sees Jesus from afar and it's so powerful to me. Now we know that Jesus went to where he is, but I want you to know that it's the man seeing Jesus that runs to him. It's not the other way around here. He sees him getting out of the boat and the man takes off running. Why don't we run to Jesus? Evil will. Think about that. He runs to where Jesus is and he falls on his face. It's the language. Falls on his face before Jesus. Isn't it powerful? Evil will bow before him, but we will not. Who is this? Is the question. And we hear as evil responds. What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Son of God, most high. See, evil recognizes who he is. Why don't we? Evil acknowledges who he is. Why can't we? You want to know who this one is that calmed the, sun, the, the seas and the wind. You want to know the one that you're walking with, the question that you're asking. Are you listening, guys? This is Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. This is the one that has been promised. The long-awaited Messiah. The one that will make all things wrong. Right. He is, are you hearing? It's the confrontation. And then we see the change. As the man bows before. And I'm not going to get into it. I know you know the story. But Jesus completely changes this man. Oh, aren't you thankful that we have a God who doesn't have to do it? Oh, I'm not happy with that response. I'm thankful that we have a God who doesn't have to do it. He completely changes this. What evil had stolen, Jesus restores. We see him now. He's clothed. That's a good thing. You realize that, don't you? I'm thankful that all the places I preach, people are clothed. And I can promise you the places I preach are thankful the preacher is clothed too. But anyhow, he's in his right mind. He has his hair combed. I remember how that used to be. And he's carrying on a conversation with Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved to know what they were talking about? It's not important or it would be recorded, but I would love to hear the conversation that was going on with this restored man and the restorer. And the people, they see what's happening. And you'll remember there were some pigs and there were some things that go on. They go off the cliff. They go into the water. I don't want to get caught up in that because I don't think the story is really about pigs. It is a foreshadowing of what will come. But we know this is all about the person and the person who made the difference. But anyhow, they're scared. And so they come to where he is. They see all that they were scared before and now they're scared again. And listen to what they do. This is their response. They ask Jesus to leave. Will you just go back where you came from? Go back to the other side of the sea. And this is what I've noticed in my life. Jesus always goes where he's invited. Have you noticed that? But he will never stay where he's not welcome. And so now we watch him as he begins to get back into the boat, begins to get ready to sail across. And the man that has been changed, the one who has been set free, now all of a sudden he's begging Jesus, let me go with you. 
Let me go. He's imploring him. That's what's going on here. And, and you know, I, I think I get Jesus figured out. And then he goes and he does something unexpected. I, I think it's natural when Jesus has changed you. By the way, if Jesus hasn't changed you, he hadn't saved you. Uh, that's a strong statement, but I'm just going to put it out there. If Jesus has not changed you, he hasn't saved you. You can disagree, but you would be wrong. And I would challenge you to show me one place in the word of God that someone wasn't changed by Jesus. And I think it's natural when he has changed you to want to be where he is. See, this is why I'm not a pastor. I, I don't think I should have to convince people to fall in love with Jesus. Not those who have supposedly known his saving work in their life. I don't believe I should have to twist people's arms when they've known the touch of Jesus to be where he is, to have to follow him. I just wouldn't. It's natural. He wants to go. And yet Jesus in this moment says no. Isn't that incredible? You would think that he said, get on in the boat here. We'll go from 12 to 13. Get on in the boat. But no, he says no. Instead, he says, and this is my words. This is the commission that he gives. We've seen the confrontation and the change. And now the commission, he says, you, you go back home. Can you imagine being told to go where you were thrown out of? Go back home and you tell your friends. And one would assume your family, what the Lord has done for you. Stay here and you go and tell. And this is something that's hit me. You won't care, but it's, I'm analytical. I get on my nerves, so let me get on yours. We often say that Paul was the first missionary to the Gentiles. It's wrong. This man was. There's no other way around it. This man was. And so we watch him as he does what Jesus tells him to do. That's incredible to me. You'd think it wouldn't be. But you do remember, everybody didn't do that. And now we watch him as he goes, and then we read the result is that all, everybody marvels. Can you imagine? Broken things had been restored. A life had been changed. And a question had been answered. Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is the sower and the seed. He is the seed that produces life when merged with the soil. He is the lamp that comes. He is the mystery revealed. His kingdom is the kingdom that overtakes so that others can experience his power. Who is he? He is the one and only one who can change your life. He is the one and only one that can set us free from the bonds of sin. He is the one and only one that can make a difference in your family and your circumstance. He is. The question really is, will you let him be? That's the simple message. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and seas obey him. He is. Hmm. He is. 
everything you need. Everything you'll ever need. He is.